Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, transforming the way people think and work, enabling their organizations to thrive. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker and folks on today's show, our second interview with Sage CTO, Aaron Harris. Hey, Ron. Hey, Ed. Looking forward to this. I am looking forward to this too. Always love talking to Aaron. We always have a great time. Let me read him in so we can get going on the conversation. Aaron Harris is Sage, Sage's global CTO. Aaron is responsible for Sage's technology strategy and software architecture. He has more than 20 years of high-tech engineer experience in business applications and software development strategies. Previously, a founding leader at Sage Intact, acquired by Sage in 2017, Aaron led the company's product vision, technology direction, establishing Sage Intact as the innovation leader in cloud financial management solutions. Welcome back to the Soul of Enterprise, Aaron Harris. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. So Aaron, one of the questions that I occasionally ask you when we get together, I figured I'd start out with this, is what percentage of the code base is of Sage Intact is still Aaron <laughs> Harris? <laughs> uh, for Intact, um, you know, if, if the team is doing what they promised they'd do to me after I moved on to the global CTO job. It's all, it's all gone by now. Okay. Um, but I'm going to be a bit confident and say that there's still some stuff that works so well that it's just, it's never going anywhere. <laughs> maybe, maybe the basic, you know, journal entry is still around. It hasn't been a lot of ways to, to do that differently. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's something once you get it to work, you there's no reason to muck with it. Yeah. Yeah, but SQL credits, all systems, right? That's the plan anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yep. So, but really we're we're so glad to have you back on. There's so many different things that we could talk to you about. But what I I wanted to talk to you about um once an article that was uh published in the UK accounting web. Sage CTO spells out AI uh, accounting vision, and you said this: "It is our ambition to eliminate the monthly codes and bring back or bring a world where all data is real time and reliable. And generative AI is the last piece of that puzzle. Why is generative AI the last piece of the puzzle? Well, there's uh, there's there's two big things that generative AI brings to this. Um, and by the way, I'd love to talk about the difference between a continuous close and just getting rid of the thing. But, but um, the, the two big things that generative AI does is, is first, and this is probably more obvious, it enables everybody to engage in accounting workflow and counting activities. So um, you probably experience this uh, when you have to approve a purchase order for example, or, or go in and, I don't know, submit an expense report, you do this so infrequently that you're probably having to remember which app to use. You, you're, if, if you're going into an accounting product, and despite the fact that you and I have been in the industry for years, um, the one that we use for approving purchase orders is, is not one that I'm familiar with. And so I spent two hours trying to figure out how do I navigate you know, through the app to get to where I approve the purchase order. And so if, if somebody can just give me an interaction with a, with a digital assistant or a co-pilot where we can have a back and forth about it, I don't have to mess around with all that stuff. And so from the accounting team, 
you know, one of the things that prevents you from getting the close done is you're constantly chasing employees to, to submit their timesheets, to, to approve expense reports, whatever it happens to be. And, and that's just a headache. And, and the employees don't like to do it either because it's a pain in the butt. Uh, and, and there's some other, you know, there's some other factors there, but fundamentally it's essentially making it much easier to interact with accounting software. The second, and this is which is what's really the most compelling, is that large language models, the, the, tech, the technology that powers today's digital assistants and what I call AI agents, they've got the capability to not just perform a task, but to understand a complex instruction, break it down into, you know, here's the steps that I need to perform this task and, and to, you know, to get to, to some answer. And they know how to write code. Uh, they know how to write SQL. Uh, we can equip them with skills to do math, right? And uh, we can equip them with um, more narrowly focused AI, mo AI models that can read data off of an invoice or something. They can orchestrate that entire activity. And that's kind of what's left in the world of automation, getting, you know, getting rid of the close, you know, what, what we call continuous accounting requires us to not just automate tasks, where they're still fundamentally orchestrated by humans, but to actually you know, give ownership of the orchestration to an AI, where there's a very strong relationship between the AI and the human, where AI is bringing humans in to review, as opposed to you know, having humans doing all the work. It's one of the quotes that, that actually came from multiple directions uh, for our big keynote, our big conference next week. A couple of us independently came up with quotes from customers where they talk about wanting to be uh, reviewers and not doers. And that's, that's fundamentally now what we're, we would be able to do with generative AI. Talk also a little bit about what this means potentially for auditors, because I was at, a, at a, an event earlier this week with accounting thought leaders. And one of the real concerns in the profession is the potential elimination, at least for a lot of mid-market people, of the audit completely. And, you know, Ron and I are both like, yeah, bring it on. But <laughs> there are some others who are not, not, not so sure about that. <laughs> How much time do we have, Ed? This is, <laughs> it's an hour long show, Aaron. Here forever. we go. <laughs> so the first time, the first time that I brought out our AI vision seven years ago, and I talked about wanting to eliminate the close, I then went on to a continuous assurance. And I didn't say eliminate the audit. Um, but, I, you know, what I referenced was, this was seven years ago, the big four audit firms were bringing in $40 billion a year in audit fees. And that was for point in time uh, confidence well after the fact, right? And so we're operating our markets <laughs> on this point in time trust that the big four are bringing. And I left it at that, right? So it got, a, got picked up by some media and, and some of the, you know, the accounting industry and the audience that I had said we're going to eliminate the audit. So I had a chance the next day to correct the record. Um, one of the journalists uh, cornered me. We had an interview. The, the first question she asked was, you know, what happens to that 40 billion? My answer is, well, it, it becomes 80 billion. Because if, if, if the big four can now come into these organizations and implement systems of continuous audit and continuous assurance, how much more valuable is that? And you know, I'm probably being conservative when I say it doubles. And you know, one of the things that that I 
you know, <laughs> sometimes I pull out quotes where I'm quoting myself. <laughs> I got to come well, why up. Why not? You know, I've got to. I've got to come up with these things. You know that the press picks up. But one of the things that I've been saying a lot lately is it doesn't matter what you automate. A human is always accountable, and and really that's why the industry is embracing generative AI, because the value of third party assurance will only increase with you know escalating automation you know so having somebody who can come in with a technical expertise who really understands the value of you know controls that can look at a complex system where there's a lot of ai and and can sign off on all of this automation and ai that's hugely hugely valuable so my, my belief is the industry grows becomes more valuable and it becomes a more attractive career. You know, the industry is really struggling to attract people into the career. There are fewer students every year that are going into accounting. Well, let's let's solve that by making it a more attractive profession. Yeah, what you're what you're saying is something that Ron and I have talked about. Is we, and this is when Watson was big. We yes, we want Watson to help with our diagnosis of cancer, but no one wants to hear from Watson that we have cancer. <laughs> Right. You, you yeah, want it, exactly. you want, you want the human, human being being part of that. Well, um, I came across a story yesterday from emerging uh, tech brew that talked uh, was a, is a, a poll from Canva and Harris that said 72% of chief information officers are concerned about app sprawl. Uh, I guess this is defined as the surge of different platforms used in the workspace, especially in terms of potential security risks. And they said that, but according to these, 94% of these execs send that, say, and say they plan to spend on AI this year. And 84% said there's a glut of AI services available. So there's, there seems to be, is this, is this just CIOs going to CIO or <laughs> is, there, is there something um, real behind this? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's real. Um, you know, if, if, if we watch just, just the use of software as a service, within accounting teams, just, you know, going back 15 or 20 years, the, the, the number of applications in, in that sort of that portfolio of products that, that the CFO team is using, it's probably five X, 10 X what it was mm -hmm. 10, 15 years ago. Um, this is inevitable. It, it, it's, it's, I'll probably struggle to describe this in a way that lands, I've only ever been able to do it in papers that I've written <laughs> or like, you know, the board. But one of the big themes that drives our technology strategy is what I call the death of the monolith. And, and essentially what that means is the days of having big, fully integrated monolithic applications are, are dying and, and they're dying fast. Um, in many cases, what was an application a couple of years ago is just an AI is a is an API today. Uh, you know, there's there's more and more specialization for automating you know specific workflows within finance or you know within within HR. And and my view of this is that this evolution is going to continue. There there won't just be more apps. The transition is going to be to services that our front-end AI assistants and agents will be able to interact with. And, and that's what's really going to solve it from a user experience perspective. From a user experience perspective, I'm not anymore going to have to learn how to, to interact with 15 or 20 apps. 
I'm going to have a co-pilot that knows what services I'm entitled to use, that knows my role, that knows the way that I like to work. And the, these co-pilots know how to interact with, with these various products, which, as I said, are going to uh, evolve over time. I wanted to say devolve, but that's the wrong word. They're going to evolve into APIs, essentially, that power any number of front ends, but primarily it's going to be AI front ends. Well, Aaron, this is fantastic, but we have to take our first break. I want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the website is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. On this first break, we want to remind you to go out and rate this podcast. You can do that at ratethispodcast.com slash TSOE. If you rate us and give us a review, we promise to read it on the air, good, bad, or indifferent. We love hearing from you. But right now, a word from our sponsors. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah, 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 Whatever. And four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. Ron, we talk a lot about business opportunities. Well, now a great one has become our sponsor, bookskeepingfranchise.com, bookskeeping with an X. That's right, Ed. If you are interested in becoming part of the $4.2 billion bookkeeping industry for a franchise fee of just under $20,000, visit www.bookskeepingfranchise.com. Bookskeeping comes with full training, plus marketing and technical support, and even staffing. Visit the website or call 855 935 2669. Franchise opportunity not available in all states. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're here for the second time with uh, Sage's global CTO, Aaron Harris. And Aaron, I, you probably saw this, but we, we talked about it on one of our shows the last couple of weeks. Um, Jason Freed from 37 Signals declaring that the post-SAS era is just around the corner. 
And uh, I just wanted your take on that. So uh, as one of the early uh, advocates for, for uh, SAS, <laughs> um, you know, this is a really interesting topic for me. The, I, I don't know that it's just around the corner. Um, it's going to take some time for, for business models to evolve to, to what's next. And I've got a view on what's next. But it, you know, it kind of comes back, back to what I was talking about at the end of the last segment, this, this sort of this devolution of applications and suites into APIs. Because more and more of the way work happens within businesses is going to be automated. It's going to be plugged into you know, digital workflows. And SaaS really wasn't described, wasn't, uh, wasn't really um, designed for that. And, and actually, the, the biggest thing about it is the fact that it's, it's a subscription. And the way you pay for that subscription, in most cases, is tied to human users or um, you know, advanced capabilities that you're using. And if, if, if really the world has moved on to automation, is a subscription model still the right model? And, and I would argue that it isn't. It's, it's a much better model to pay for how you consume or how much you consume the services, which drives a completely different set of incentives to the way you build software, to the way you run the business. Uh, and I, I think it's the right business model if we can embrace and accept the fact that the value that our customers derive from business applications in the future is going to be from the level of automation they get from it and not from how easy they make it for a human user to go in and enter an invoice. Mm. So that's what you do. Do you have a name for that model, or, sir? Well, uh, there's there's various names for it already. You know, there's there's the consumption uh, pricing model, um, activity based pricing, but but fundamentally, it's it's the idea that you that you assign value to the consumption of services, uh, and there's various ways you can price for that. But as I said, it changes everything about the business. The other important thing here is that starting with SaaS, the business and the software that you sell from the business became interlinked. Um, you know, probably half the code that we wrote in the early days of Intact was the business of Intact. <laughs> being, being able to interact with our customers, being able to bill them, uh, you know, managing the, the, you know, the automated upgrade process. And going to this activity-based pricing or consumption pricing model, you're going to have that same, that, that same phenomena there where you've got to build up the business around this model. So it's going to be, so, so all of that is to say, I think it's, it is the future. I don't think it's right around the corner. I think it's going to be a, a transition over several years. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I know, I know there's a lot of debate within the subscription model about usage pricing versus more flat rate that, and that's kind of, but you're saying that because of AI, it's even going to get, it's going to accelerate, accelerate. Yeah. On AI, Aaron, um, you know, I was just reading one of the last threads that Stephen Hawking was involved in before he passed away. And he was very pessimistic about AI. And then you got guys like Mark Andreessen saying it's going to save the world. Where do you come down? So I'm I'm closer to Mark 
Um, but, you know, one of the things that I, so I've got this keynote coming up next week where I'm talking about AI to a room full of partners that have built a business on our technology and, and they know AI is coming. And at some point in my, in my advocacy for this is a good thing, I've got a quote from Alan Kay, this, you know, mm. the, 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 the computer scientist that, that, that all of us love, that essentially says the best way to predict the future is to create it. And, you know, I'm of a strong view that if you know, there's enough optimists like me that really commit to driving positive outcomes with AI, we can create a, a better future. But the thing that I think everyone can agree on is that the risk is greater with AI but like anything, you know, the, the result of that risk is going to be magnified, right? So, you know, risk equals reward, right? Big risk with AI, but if we can do it right, the reward is amazing. If we make mistakes, right, if we allow it to, to, to run amok and we don't properly, you know, put safeguards in place, there's a real risk that it's going to, that it's going to cause a wider digital divide, a wider wealth divide. It's going to create bigger schisms uh, between, you know, uh, uh, the, the left and the right in terms of viewing the world. Uh, it's it's going to make it harder to 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 know what's true and, and what's make believe. So all of these things are risks. But but you know, my view is that you've got to commit as you know leaders driving change through AI that you're going to make the positive outcome happen. Right. What are some of the upsides that you're excited about with AI beyond what you've already discussed? But I, I mean, even on a more global level. Um, so I, I hate to keep coming back to this, but the way we interact with technology today, three or four years from now, we're going to look back on it and think of it as so antiquated. You know, ha having to to go to a user interface <laughs> where you're navigating menus and you're having to learn how to do tasks. Uh, and I don't care what kind of product we're talking about. That's going to be, that's going to feel antiquated. And there's always a startup cost in terms of learning, uh, uh, education to become productive using technology today. AI is going to take that barrier, you know, that, that sort of the learning cost of entry, if you will, to zero. It's going to make technology more accessible to, to everyone. Some of the research on generative AI and its impact on worker productivity, essentially, and there's lots of research that are corroborating this, this, this conclusion. Everybody is more productive when they're given access to generative AI. But the production gains accrue more to the less skilled, the less experienced, because it enables them to, to get up to speed faster. And I mean, I actually, I've got a personal experience with this. You know, I, when, when generative AI hit the scene in a big way, you know, I, 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 I built the AI team at Sage. That's a really I shouldn't say it that way. <laughs> I was sort of, you know, in the seat when they, when, when we built the AI team, but I was able to, to run that AI team sort of understanding enough about AI that I could run the team effectively. When generative AI hit the scene, 
I was, I couldn't sleep for like a month because I worried, am I still the right CTO for this business? And I decided that I had to learn Python. I had to get in and understand what the development lifecycle looks like for a machine learning engineer. And the way that I did that was I put chat GPT in a window in one of my monitors. And whenever I had a you know time between meetings or whatever else I was doing, ChatGPT was teaching me how to code in Python. It was teaching me how to use the tools that machine learning engineers are using to, to train models. I was learning the complexities of you know, how database technology needs to work differently uh, through my interactions with ChatGPT. And so the thing that I think is the most powerful is its, is its ability to educate. And, and the great thing about it, you know, imagine a, a 50-year-old, I'm a little older than 50, imagine a 50-year-old CTO of a big global company having to sit down with a, a you know, fresh AI engineer just out of college and, and having that fresh AI engineer answer basic questions to, to, to that AI engineer, right? The great thing about ChatGPT is it doesn't judge, right? It, it, it just wants to help, right? So it's been an, a, an amazing partner for me in, uh, in, in in learning, but also as I need to research things, it's a great partner to bounce ideas off, to sort of dive down into some debates that, and it, I don't trust the answers, but I value the interaction and the thought-provoking ideas that, that come out of these conversations. Yeah. So if we can, you know, if we can really get it to, to as many people as possible with all the safeguards, it's going to enable people to learn faster and to learn more and to be more productive and have a bigger impact. That's a great point. You know, people talk about like having, it's like having a research assistant, but it's also a teacher. That's a really good point. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of The Economist and I know you guys are a UK based company and there's been a lot of articles in there recently about the rate of adoption of AI. And they're basically saying, look, guys, it's not as fast as you think. Um, and they give lots of historical examples. One that caught my eye was the tractor. You know, the tractor was invented in 1890, but uh, not even half of farmers had it by 1950. And I know technology adopts faster, but how fast do you think this adoption will be? Do you see it just really being picked up all over or are we on a typical curve? Well, let me let me answer that actually by saying most of the AI that people sort of think about in their minds when we have these kinds of conversations is the digital assistance. You know, it's the chat GPT experience, it's the Google Gemini experience, whatever it happens to be. Those are just applications of generative AI. Uh, you know, OpenAI deciding to, to build ChatGPT and make it available to people was a way for them to showcase the power and the capability of their large language models. AI is going to get adopted very rapidly because developers see the opportunity to work in completely different ways that are almost magical to you if you're a developer. You know, People like me built their careers building logic systems, right? Where where you're you're writing thousands of lines of code to to capture you know all of the possible permutations of outcomes that you have to anticipate when your when your product is used. 
you graduate now to to providing almost human like you know English instructions to an AI on how to do a job. It, I'm simplifying it a bit because there's a lot of work to integrate that. There's a lot of work to build sort of the right training for it. But one of the things that I'm going to show at our user conference to our partners next week to really bring it home to them, the difference, you know, the, the different world that we're in now because of large language models is to actually, I'm going to show them what it's like for a Sage developer to debug our upcoming digital assistant. And it's a back and forth conversation. Right. So, you know, there's an input from a from a user that says, show me my top 10 customers by revenue and their outstanding balance. Debug mode, right? You know, the the AI spits out, okay, uh, I need to it it, refor- it reformulates the question in something that's a little a bit more you know structured and clear. And then it says, okay, I need to call the API to uh, get uh, the customers ordered by their their total revenue. Uh, and then I need to, for the customers in the top 10, I need to make another API invocation to, to, to get the total uh, AR balance, you know, the total open invoice balance for those top 10. Okay, and then I need to put that into a data store. And I'm now gonna use the skill that you've given me to do math on data. And I'm going to ask that skill that you've given me to do math on data to summarize, you know, all of that information for me to do the math, to add up the, you know, the invoices. And then I'm going to use another skill that you've given me to present it in a way that's human readable and, and makes sense. Um, and after, and of course, you know, in the debug, it's showing you its results every step of the way. So here's the code that it's writing to invoke the API. Here's the SQL script that it wrote to, 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 to query the data and to, to summarize the data. Now, here's the command that it's giving to the skill, which is a really you know, a narrow task-based AI to, to present the, the information in a usable way. It's staggering it, how different it is to code in this world. And we're just scratching the surface on what it means now to not code you know, every possible outcome but to instead guide AI to do the job safely and competently. It's just completely different now. Wow. It's like you're managing AI now. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, Aaron, this exactly. is great. It's flying by. And folks, I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact me or Ed, send us an email to ask TSOE at verisage.com. Do check out our Patreon channel where you can become a member and get access to our bonus content. That channel is now sponsored by 90minds find a mind at 90 minds check them out at 90minds.com and now a word from our sponsors enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us follow us on instagram at voice america talk radio and see what we're cooking up for you sage provides accountants with compliance reporting and analytic solutions to do more for their clients These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. 
Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back on the Soul of Enterprise with my colleague, Sage CTO, Global CTO, Aaron Harris. Aaron, uh, you do a lot of work in lots of different areas. And one of the ones that I know you're extraordinarily passionate about is a program that we've begun with uh, Teens in AI. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that organization and your work there? Yeah, so Teens in AI, I believe, was founded in 2018. And it emerged from a United Nations summit on you know, diversity and inclusion and some of the challenges we have there. And it, fundamentally, what Teens in AI does is it goes around the world, uh, focusing on especially in areas of the world that, that you know, don't have the digital access and the digital, you know, the, the, the same infrastructure that we enjoy and the same access to education that we enjoy. And they focus particularly on teenage girls. And they bring machine learning experts and data scientists into these communities. And they hold hackathons. And they'll spend several days with, with uh, these teenagers, training them on you know, what does it mean to develop AI? You know, what, is, what is the process of machine learning? And they, they coach uh, the teenagers through the projects that, that they sort of are passionate about and really want to apply what they've learned about AI to. And, uh, you know, they come up with some really, really amazing outcomes. But fundamentally, the objective is to drive more girls into STEM careers. And I've got, you know, the reason why I'm so passionate about teens and AI is that, you know, the way to fix the diversity problem uh, in tech, which is more important to fix in AI is by getting the next generation of AI, you know, of AI builders uh, to be, you know, more, you know, we want more women to be excited about a career in AI. That's, that, that's the way to me that we're going to, to, to fix this, this challenge of having a, a real mismatch of, uh, of men versus women in the, in the, in the industry. You know what I think is interesting about it is that if you think about what, and I've heard this very simple definition of the difference between data analytics and data science. Data analytics was about getting the answers from the data. Data science was about asking new questions of the data. And if you just think about that, that 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 maybe, and this is where we get to like some really weird uh, bell curve distributions, 
you know, men in general are more interested in the on-off, you know, one zero look at look way of looking at things. Where I think women are extraordinarily better at subtleties. And what you're talking about here is that we're now applying that same subtlety to data. And that's pretty cool because women are going to be more attracted to that. Cause but yeah, you know, I, I don't think it's bad to say men and women are different. I mean, <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, but I'll tell you the, 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 the woman who founded Teens and AI, Elena Sinel, what inspired her to do it is she had a teenage daughter who got really excited about computer science. Mm-hmm. And she had a she had a teacher in high school say, No, nah, you don't want to do that. That's not a career for women. What? And 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 you know, on a on a less sort of offensive level, there is this sort of tone that's you know, that's generations in the making, that there are some careers for men and there are careers for women. And the way to fix it is to 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 be more embracing of you know, bringing women into these science and technology careers, you know, getting them excited about it and breaking down these taboos that are especially prevalent in, you know, outside. It's, it's a problem in the U.S. It's worse in a lot of countries, this, these taboos about, you know, what industries kids get into. Um, but that's, you know, imagine being a mother with a really smart, you know, girl, and the mother herself is really passionate about technology and, and having the girl come back, you know, really, really saddened because the teacher told her, well, that's not a career for you. Yeah. Well, the other thing I've heard, heard you talk about too, and I think this is a presentation you did um, maybe six months or a year ago. Uh, and it talked, talked about this, this notion that we're, we're, we're finding that, you know, there's bias in the data that we're getting back with AI, but you know what? It's a reflection of the, the bias that we, that's already exists in the world. <laughs> Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. That's why it's hard. That's why it's hard. <laughs> you know, yeah, for thousands of years, human beings have done some pretty terrible things and it's reflective in what, where our data is. I mean, that's, yeah. we've got to fix yeah. it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, large language models are trained predominantly on internet content and it can be a pretty dark place out there. So, you know, a lot of the work that goes into building these, these solutions that are based on large language models is balancing uh uh, you know, balancing all of this this data, and you know, building mechanisms to sort of detect and root out that bias. Uh, there was something really interesting that happened with Google uh, this week, I believe, with Gemini, where they went a little too far um, in the image generating. And you know, somebody would ask for pictures of the founding fathers, um, and they would come back as women or you know, with black skin. And so, you know, there, there is a balancing act here and they, they quickly, you know, took it down and, and, and fixed it. So there is a, there is a balancing act, but, but that's the challenge. I mean, one of the things that I always t- talk about is with co-pilots and digital assistants, sort of anything you build with a large language model, it doesn't take very long at all to create a really exciting demo, right? Uh, you know, we can code up something and show somebody something that'll just knock their socks off pretty quickly. But to then go from that to something that we feel confident in all of these scenarios is going to you know, behave the way we want it to. Uh, it's not going to go into categories of conversation that we don't want it to. Uh, it's going to use you know, the skills we give it to do some things as opposed to trying to do it you know, on, on their own. That's the hard part. And, and that's why it's so... I think 
easy to get disillusioned by generative AI because it's there's there's thousands and thousands of startups out there now that have gotten products to market really quick that look really, really great, do amazing things for about the first five minutes that you use them. You know, until you know you, you get a little bit more into it, and that's where you know the the usage falls off, and that's why I think we're seeing exactly what what you know you said is that the take up isn't as fast as we think. The excitement was so spectacular here um, that it was very easy to you know to miss expectations, and you know it's a literal gold rush for for startups who that's the the culture right the cultures move fast and break things. Well, right. It doesn't work anymore. Right. Well, you know, what's interesting too, that I, I think not many people realized how embedded AI already was. So, you know, the, the, it's, it's, it's not like this is all of a sudden brand new. Yeah, the generative stuff are new, but what was actually going on in the background has been a long time in coming. And, you know, one of the ways that they say, well, when 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 will we know that AI has arrived is well, when we start to stop talking about AI. To a certain extent, we'd stop talking about AI as it previously existed because it was just there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. The same technology we use to read data off of an invoice is fundamentally the same technology that powers large language models. You know, it's neural networks. Uh, it's a development process of training AI you know, how to think, <laughs> how to make predictions, and feeding it more and more data so that it gets more accurate over time. That's not quite the way large language models are trained, but you know, the the underlying neural networks as the breakthrough technology are the same in the AI that's been in products like, you know, AP automation for years. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've only got about one minute left with you, uh, Aaron, and I'm, uh, I'm terrible at this. I'm terrible at making predictions, but I'd make them all of the time. So I'm going to ask you though, for a a short term, like, is there something that's going to happen in the next six months that you think is, is going to be not shocking, but may, Oh, wow. We didn't see that. You know, most people didn't see that coming short term. Wow. Okay. I've got all kinds of predictions for, for long-term. <laughs> um, one, one of the bets that I've been making with people, and nobody's taken me up on this, is that within six months, we will start to see AI agents using our products. Mm. Uh, and you know, we might not necessarily detect that it's happening at first, but it's inevitable. You know, when I asked ChatGPT, to generate code that works with our API for doing whatever, I was floored. I mean, I wrote the code <laughs> behind right what I asked ChatGPT to do. And so it was like seeing ChatGPT write out code that works with the API that I built years ago was just, I mean, it was a crazy experience to behold. Within six months, we will start to see AI as users of our products. All right. Thanks, Aaron. Ron's going to take you the rest of the way home in the last 15 minutes, but right now we're up against our last break. I want to remind our listeners that they can contact Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Again, the website is The Soul of Enterprise. You can see show notes, previews to upcoming shows. and But now a word from our sponsor and my and Aaron's employer, Sage. A little birdie told me Voice America is on X. At Voice America TRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, 
package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with the global CTO of Sage, Aaron Harris. And Aaron, I got a story that I read the other day about the researchers at University of Pennsylvania developed a new computer chip that uses light instead of electricity is quantum computing around the corner or is it going to be one of these things like nuclear fusion it's always 30 years away i honestly don't know Um, (laughs) however i know there's been progress in the biggest challenge with quantum computing which is the, the the noise problem um that quantum computing the basics work, right? We've, we've proved that the basics work, but to isolate the, the, you know, the processor, if you will, from all of the, the, the noise that can interfere with the way that it works is incredibly challenging. Uh, and there's been, there's been real progress. Uh, when, when, when quantum computing arrives in a scaled way, the impact is going to be civilization changing. It's going to upend a lot of uh, the way we've built technology over the years, you know, encryption being the, the best example, right? You know, 95% of encryption just won't work anymore. And actually, if this is any indication to how close it's coming, I just read today that the next upgrade of iOS will have an enhanced uh, form of encryption with messages that is built to defend against quantum, um, uh, quantum, you know, decryption attempts. Wow! So somebody thinks it's it's coming. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's exciting. Um, let me ask you this: uh, Years ago, Procter and Gamble did this thing where they said we're going to move from R and D to C and D, connect and develop. And I was just curious: How do you and Sage engage with other? industry players, researchers, academic institutions to foster collaboration, to drive innovation? So we, we tend to be selective. Uh, you know, there's only so many relationships that we can manage in a productive way. 
And, you know, of, of course, we've got healthy partnerships with, with Amazon and Microsoft for Azure and AWS. And they've both been great partners in, in, in different ways in helping us to, to move faster with AI. But we also are working on a partnership with um, the Alan Turing Institute. Mm. Uh, because one of, you know, they've got, they've got a mission where one of the pillars of their mission is, is sort of societal, um, you know, AI for good, essentially. And one of our three pillars of research in AI is that continuous assurance that I like to talk about. And I had a meeting with um, a couple of the leaders there back in November last year, I think it was, including with their chief scientist. Uh, you, as you can probably imagine, the chief scientist of the Alan Turing Institute is, is sort of an interesting personality. And <laughs> you're always just sort of wondering, what is he thinking? Thank you. And he's sitting quietly next to me through this whole conversation until I start to talk about our, our AI for outlier detection. And suddenly he is just in the conversation. He's all over it. We call it VLOD internally, general ledger outlier detection. We didn't tell him that. <laughs> At the end of the conversation, he's like, I really want to work with you guys on GLOD. And he like you know, goes through and, and just repeats back to me everything that I said to him in describing it, but in more articulate, probably more scientifically correct ways. Uh, and so, so we, we pick these partnerships where you know, there's something specific that mutually aligns us um, that we can work on together. It's often tied to community as well. So we've got uh, a partnership with Newcastle University in Newcastle, England, mm. which is where we have our corporate headquarters. Uh, uh, there's the National Institute, uh, the National Innovation Center for Data tied to the Newcastle University. So we're able to sponsor PhD students there. But this is about committing to a community that's very important to us. In the same way, we've done a partnership with Morehouse College in Atlanta, where you know there's really two big benefits to us. See, the first is that it's a historically black university, um, but also it's a commitment to to the community in, in Atlanta. And Atlanta is the, the you know, sort of the the heart and soul of of Sage in North America. So that's going to be a part of how we choose to partner as well. Stepping sort of above all of this from an R and D perspective, our axiom is to be very focused and deliberate and where we spend our precious R&D money. And it's going to be entirely on the very specific problems that we have to solve for accountants that the big AI developers, you know, the open AIs and the Googles of the world, they're not focused on that, right? It's not a big enough problem for them to solve. So we start with, you know, the big stuff that comes off the shelf, and we, you know, we've got 20 PhD data scientists, right? So it's not a small number, but they're focused on that last mile, which is really, really hard to solve. And we're not expecting any of the big guys to solve those problems. You mentioned to Ed that you have lots of long-term predictions. Can you share some? Oh boy. Uh, well, so, so one of them, I already talked about the death of the monolith, right? That we won't have applications anymore. We'll have, you know, some tools, and lots of a, a, a uh, lots of APIs that are that are used by by digital assistants. I think we're all going to have our own assistants in the future. That um, you know we we give them permission to access our bank accounts, and we give them our 
uh, a ways to access our online identities. And we give them access to our credit card uh, and whatever travel services that we like to use. And, you know, they, they take the place of a lot of this going online to your, to your, to your bank's UI to kind of look at your transaction history. Instead, you've got a, you've got a personal assistant that's keeping an eye on things for you um, that you can just say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm looking to book a trip to the coast of Italy. Give me some ideas. Comes back with some ideas. Okay. Will you book that flight, please? You know, it'll ask you what, what credit card do you want to use or how do you want to pay for it? It knows how to do that. And it, it learns your kids' birthdays and it learns, you know, what, what your mother likes uh, for Mother's Day. And they just get more and more personalized over time. And I, I, you know, I think the future, the big winner in the future is going to be the company that really solves that, you know, AI as a, as a personal assistant. I think it'll be Siri. <laughs> uh, Siri's got to be rebuilt from the ground up oh. for it to be Siri. Right. Siri's not based on large language models. It's it's a decision tree. Gotcha. With some natural language, you know, some semantic understanding, but basically it's a decision tree. So Aaron, I'm curious, what what do you read to get inspired? Is there a genre, sci-fi? What and, and who do you follow to to be inspired? I mean, this isn't going to sound, you know, terribly exciting, I guess. Um I religiously read all of the daily newsletters from MIT. Mm. Uh, the New York Times and the way that they cover AI from a, a sociological perspective um, or societal perspective is really interesting to me. Uh, whenever I can read anything about the impacts of AI on you know, the business. And, and I don't mean you know, the productivity, I mean, how do businesses have to change the way they work? Uh, so you know, I, I, I get some of that through the Financial Times, uh, but again, it's more newsletters. Um, the fiction that I read that inspires me is you know, some of the, in fact, one of the, the, the book that I'm reading right now has mm. to do with quantum mechanics. Ah. Uh, and, you know, it's sort of a what could go wrong scenario. I'm trying to, I want to make sure that I give you the, the name of the author here. Um, but I love reading the sort of that Michael Crichton mm. type of mm. science fiction where it's, it's about five or 10% beyond what we have today. And then what might happen if, you know, we, we follow that to its conclusion. So this is a uh, Blake Crouch and it's called Dark Matter. And okay. it's it's actually somebody solved the stability problem with with quantum mechanics, and uses it to visit you know different realities, and all kinds of chaos ensues. Awesome, well, Aaron, thank you so much. What an honor to talk to you. Thanks for coming back on. And Ed, what do we have next week? Ron, next week we are going to be doing a show that uh, we have already pre-recorded for those of you who are in the, the and that is our um, growth grief. Guarding against the glitz and glamour of scale. So there you go. All right. I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the soul of enterprise business in the knowledge economy sponsored by Sage transforming the way people think and work 
enabling their organizations to thrive. Join us next week on Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern. That's noon Pacific. In the meantime, please feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. Thank you.